Radio check. Loud and clear. KSL Sports and KSL Podcast present Mode Push, an American view of F1, starting now. And I'm stuck. This is what you get with this f- Odyssey. I'm gusset. I'm absolutely gusset. I enjoyed this so much. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody, it's another edition of Mode Push, an American view of F1, the podcast brought to you by folks at KSL Sports, KSL Podcasts, and we appreciate your support so dang much. Alex Keery and Dan Jimenez. Dan and I have had some homework to do this week, and that is we were forced to tell our wives, hey, I've got to binge watch this F1 show on Netflix. I'm sure you'll understand. <laughs> and, of course, I'm sure your wife was just as understanding as I was. When I was just, like, walking around, she's like, so that's what you're watching then. That's what you're going to be watching is the uh, the new Drive to Survive season. And that's what I did for the last couple of days. But it's just so we can give our listeners, Dan, a, a view into what's going on here. Yeah, it's part of the grind. You know, we just got to put in the work. <laughs> and uh, my wife was kind enough to sit next to me through maybe – half an episode and then she was off doing something else but she was on on her phone the whole time so yeah most of my viewing was over the uh just uh on the airpods and the in the uh, iphone my wife tries to mitigate the watching and watching at the same time like put watching the phone Mm. while a show is on she'll do a show like in a foreign language and then you got to read the subtitles and then she's like oh looks like you gotta (laughs) put your phone down uh here we are it's another season of Drive to Survive, season five. This is how I got. I mean, there's a little bit of a nostalgia here. And it's wild to think, too, that I got into F1, Dan, basically, like so many other people who maybe listen to this podcast or even got into uh, F1 in the last couple of years. I would dare say, too, that the explosion that you've seen of American interest is almost purely driven by this series on Netflix, Drive to Survive. Totally. I totally agree with that. It was. Um, kind of around season two, season three is when just random folks in my life who had never previously cared about, uh, anything that I ever did before in racing started coming up to me and being like, Hey, I'm starting watching the show on Netflix. And it's really interesting. And I kind of like that Daniel Ricardo guy. And it was just really <laughs> weird. Cause I'm like, wait, what? Like I've been the nerd since I was like 12 watching formula one, nobody cared about it. And now all of a sudden it's uh, popular. But yeah, I'm totally with you. I think it's a, it's been a genius move for Liberty Media, and it's uh, I think the, at the root of the explosion of F1 in the U.S. right now. So among all this, the Drive to Survive drops. So here's kind of the the timetable here. Drive to Survive drops this week, and uh, you know, two days. I guess it was uh, officially only a day ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that drops. Testing is going on right now. Race week number one is in mm, T minus you know a few days. So. We're already getting into the first race of the season next week. We'll have already been through qualifying at this time. And uh, that that's a pretty it's – a, it's a really good way to do it because you go, okay, do you want to just get a quick jump into this sport? Because that's how it worked for me. I watched the first season, and then I went, oh, I guess there's like a couple of weeks, so there's an actual race. I'm going to try to dip into this thing. And that's the genius of it, and that's why it's been working. But uh, there was definitely this season five, there were still these moments. And we can go through – but I want to go, uh, and I want to do. I want to go through a little bit, like blow for blow, kind of the episode uh, to episode, a little bit of of how they did this, because it was interesting the storylines they chose to do in these first five episodes, and then we'll do the next five episodes next week. But 
uh, winter testing, like actual stuff that's going on right now, because all this that we're watching is, you know, happened last year during the 2022 season and it's done, it's finished. But right now we're in the midst of teams trying to figure things out, getting their laps in with testing. What have we learned from testing so far, Dan? Yeah, so far we've learned that Red Bull's still fast and still very confident in their car. And Max is saying that there's more performance still to come. Sergio Perez laid down the fastest lap uh, of the test session, which is, I mean, it's kind of hard to say um, who actually gave it their all and and who was still running around with, you know, a lot of fuel or just um, not in total full qualifying trim or full power engine power mode. But from the information that we have, Red Bull's still fast. Mercedes is still having some problems. Uh, Ferrari's quicker in a straight line, but slow in the corners. Hmm. And Aston Martin looks to be the fastest of the rest, which was a surprise. So um, a lot of storylines carrying over from last year, but uh, some some new things that uh, I, I think are going to make the start of the season exciting. I, I was actually watching today because Will Buxton, he's been uh, a major part of my life the last uh, tw- 36 oh, hours because he's <laughs> featured so much in Drivers Survive. And he's an F1 employee, and, and you know, he's uh, he's overly dramatic, which works out perfectly for the series. You know, when he explains, you do not want to lose against your rival, and you're like, wow, <laughs> the revelation, amazing. <laughs> I did see him say this, though, about uh, McLaren, who coming out of testing has, what I've seen is they've had the fewest laps completed, which could uh, mm-hmm. kind of indicate something, you know, of an issue there. That's kind of usually something that they tip uh, to Williams, you know. But but this is McLaren's issue. And I actually saw this clip and I thought, oh, I got to play this for Dan because not all is well uh, for Zach Brown's team. I actually saw him leave the garage and walk to the little driver's room on the side and very unlike Lando, sort of punched the the flimsy, you know, sort of makeshift it, wall wow. as he walked through. It was, it was you know, it wasn't... We're going to knock the wall down, but it was a no. there was that, that little bit of frustration, frustration as he walked through. And just, over, yeah. You can tell it's not not quite. I actually so there was the, there was a little insight there. Now, yeah. if the drive to survive cameras are walking around for season six already, it'll be mm-hmm. there'll be some dramatic music. There'll be maybe a, a couple extra cuss words that are thrown in there. That being said, when he said it's a very non Lando like, we've seen Lando kind of with the thousand yard stare the last uh, couple of seasons with this team and the development of McLaren is not going well. Yeah, it is not a good start. I think that that stat you shared that they had the fewest laps in practice is the indication of who's having um, the most trouble because what you want to do is you want to iterate to a good setup and then you want to have be able to make long runs on that setup to learn as much as you can over the course of a long run. But if the car is not acting you know, uh, the way that you want it to, then you're like, okay, two laps, bring it into the garage, make a change. Two laps, bring it into the garage. And so you just end up making losing a lot of time doing those changeovers and trying to run a bunch of different iterations so yeah that's the signal to me that not uh that development has not gone well in the offseason for mclaren which stinks because i mean i i think the mclaren brand is great like zach brown being the american team principal is really cool we all love lando piastri's golden boy like there should be a lot to be excited about but it just sucks that they can't get their their act together on their car I did see an interesting piece of speaking of teams and their lap lap totals things like that. Alpha Tower actually figu- uh, finished everything with the most uh, laps, 
uh, completed, and which is fine. I think it's great. You know the 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 little the little brother team of uh, of Red Bull, <laughs> which is kind of the space that they've lived in for you know a long time, and 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 they're the developmental team, and some teams being able to have that or at least a partnership within it. I've got some interesting news. Did you read this today, Dan, about the the future of uh, what Red Bull is thinking with uh, Alpha Tauri? Saw some headlines that they might be for sale. Oh boy. The new Red Bull management has determined, this is according to Toby Gruner, who uh, writes for a German uh, uh, F1 coverage over there. It's all of the, the entire articles in German, but like the headline that is in English right here says that the Red Bull management has determined that the results and the marketing value of the team does not justify the cost. The team mm-hmm. either has to move to England or it could be sold. You have people mm. waiting in the wings. Uh, you have people who are willing to put up capital. Um, you know, an Alpha Tower has been an interesting thing. Like for somebody like me who just doesn't go, I don't, I don't, I've already not seen the value. When I see that they have like the Alpha Tower like clothing line rolled out, I'm always like, I don't know what they're doing <laughs> here, but God bless them. Maybe it works for them. Maybe the European uh, market is big for it. But uh, does that does that make sense for some place where? Uh, an Andretti Cadillac situation where you could kind of just like sneak in there and do, I don't know how that works. Like, or would you just have to have, if, how do you sell an F1 team or what do you do? Sell the name? I'm not sure what happens. Yeah. I, it's a, a great time to sell an F1 team. I think we just, it's uh top of the market when it comes to the popularity of the sport. So if you're Red Bull and you've ever been thinking about in the past, you know, maybe we should divest this. Now's a great time because you're going to have uh, a line of buyers, I think wanting to get in exactly the mechanics of, of how that all works. I'm not sure. I, it's interesting too, knowing that um, Ford and their new partnership with Red Bull probably wouldn't love uh, Red Bull selling the team to Chevrolet to get into the sport, ah. for example. <laughs> so I wonder how that might influence it. And then whoever buys the team, will they still be a Ford engine customer? Like, you know, they have been uh, like the Honda customer paired with Red Bull is another question going through my mind. But uh, I think it's great. Like, you know, Red Bull has done so much for the sport. They just are an incredible marketing machine. They've thrown so much money into it. But I think that in the end, they're like smart business people. And they see that the return for the, on that AlphaTauri team just doesn't make sense. It, it's not the development, um, like the driver development team that I, that I think they were planning on it to be because like so many of the drivers have just gone off elsewhere and they've other than max, like they've just been pulling drivers in like Sergio from completely other teams. And so I, I think uh, it makes sense and I'm excited to see who steps up. I think it'd be a good thing to diversify, uh, and you know, uh, two of the cars on the grid into another ownership group. Uh, interesting to see those types of developments happen, like right before the season starts, like that type of drama, yeah. like as if there wasn't enough pressure on all these team principals and the bosses and everything like Franz Tost must be just beside himself going great. I'm glad that this stuff leaks out while we're, while we're sitting in here, uh, you know, trying to get this season going and you almost don't even have time to listen to that noise. Let's go to some of the episodes that have happened during uh, for the Drive to Survive season five. I, I was as we started to go through this. So you have five episodes. Uh, the last one half, having to do with um, Alpine, and then there was a Mick, there was a full Mick Schumacher episode entitled uh, "Like Father, Like Son." There was a team principal kind of driven one in uh, episode three that really kind of showed a lot of. The lack of, oh, I don't know. It was all of Ferrari's struggles on the on the side of trying mm-hmm. to figure out these races and how many times they screwed up, basically. When they magnified all of those problems into one episode, and you know what <laughs> the and you know that Mattia Benotto ends up at the end of this thing with no job, 
it's pretty sad to see because you're like, they're trying their butts off to make this thing happen, but they fumbled so many dang times. Well, let's start with the first one. They start to go through the season. They start to – one of the things that I think we forget about because it's such a long season is, is just how difficult it was when they first showed up and all the cars got out of their garages and everybody starts looking at them and walking around the paddock. Everybody looked at Mercedes and went, you guys are either geniuses or this is going to suck, and it ended up being the uh, the latter. Right, Yeah. That was uh, interesting to see, like Lewis coming over and looking at the Ferrari, just like this is really different than than ours. Uh, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And uh, yeah, I love that first episode. I, you know, G- Gunter is the star, I think, or he's one of the main stars of the show. And they led <laughs> leading off with uh, Gunter and Mattia driving through the Dolomites in that little tiny Fiat or whatever they were in. Yeah. I love that. That was great. Like, it's very endearing. I didn't but, like, even know they were that close. Like, I would assume some of these guys have known each other, obviously, for years and years. But, like, to hear Gunter throwing around the Italian, and obviously, he's kind of right there impressive. on the border. Yeah. I think he's from that, that like, the border of the Alps there between Germany and and uh, and, and Italy. So, I think speaking Italian is, like, not super wild for him. But to see him over there, and I think it was Mattia's, uh, was, was it his, vineyard, his uh, vineyard that he has or, like, a winery that he started over there? Yeah, they went to some vineyard. They said he's getting into uh, into that, but uh, I don't know if that was his exact vineyard. But, yeah, that was cool to see. And But it was hard because you're like, oh, man, I really like Mattia. He's, he's a cool guy, and I just know he's not going to make it. Right. <laughs> you know how it ends with that guy. There are some it's things like where, old yeller. You're just yes, like, I know how this movie yes. ends. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's hard, too, because you have to go back. I, I mean, uh, the, ra- the Silverstone race was featured across at least four of these episodes, like pretty heavily. Like just the, each yeah. kind of story or each team that they were kind of following – because Silverstone ended up being the uh, the race, I think, where Mick scored his first points overall. And mm-hmm. again, you know the ending of what happens to Mick, and you saw how difficult it was. And to hear the Gene Haas uh, phone calls with Gunter after these wrecks that he had, and he's just like, this guy didn't have it. This guy didn't have yeah. it, man. And this guy, we're walking into, we're getting into dead man walking territory. You're going, you're talking about Mick freaking Schumacher, and you're just going to cast this guy aside and yeah, it was a couple of weeks in a row of losing, you know, almost two million dollars worth of uh, of a car. But to watch the Mick Schumacher episode was really difficult because one, you have Gunter Steiner who they have this really quick car and they just can't put some things together. They have kind of just Haas issues that they seem to have, and yeah, and you you just see these guys who go in and they don't necessarily uh, live up to what they what you thought they're going to be. And and you and I have talked about this. I don't know how a team wouldn't take Mick Schumacher. Maybe you and I just don't see, or maybe I don't see uh, that he is, is, is so bad for the sport or is, was so bad during his first few weeks to be not good enough to uh, give him a seat ever again. Yeah, I think it's uh, a bit of um, cir- uh, kind of victim of circumstance that you know Mick is having this issue at Haas where Gene Haas is uh, just very direct with his drivers yeah. and he's very, he, he's very businesslike in that, uh, he does not want wrecked cars and that goes across formula one or NASCAR or anywhere he's raced and, you know, building his own business that he's, he's just very savvy like that. So I feel like Mick at any other team, they would have given him a longer leash. So it just kind of sucked for Mick that he was at Haas where they were going to be, uh, more critical with, uh, the cost that he was incurring on the team. And it really, I think comes down to destroying the car at Jetta and qualifying and destroying the car, I believe it was during the race at Monaco. It's like two cars gone. Like if, if, if he's not counteracting all of that with a bunch of points, then in Gene Haas's mind, it's the decision is very clear and he's a a pretty emotionless dude. And 
it doesn't care what your last name is. So <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was rough to watch, you know, and, and, and they do, they bring up his, his relationship with, um, they bring up his relationship with a bunch of the a bunch of the drivers and and you know obviously Sebastian Vettel who crosses over with his dad you know during that time that's also like a that's a difficult one to watch and a guy who's like been his mentor and trying to figure it out that was a tough episode um i think that watching some of the success what's been the theme so far in these first 5 episodes and they they you know they bounce back and forth but it's pretty obvious that ferrari like really, really messed up last year. Just, I mean, they had all this talent and, you know, they try to make this, I think it was when, um, when Carlos Sainz finally won his first race and that was at Silverstone, right? And they kind of let him, the team orders were like, Hey, give him 10, give uh, Leclerc 10 lengths. uh, You're on these old tires and he's going to defend Lewis. And they kind of made it sound like uh, that Carlos Sainz is like, no, screw you guys. I'm going to do this thing. Uh, but they just kind of. Re- I think the reality of it was the the more dramatic thing that they did was try to act like he defied team orders in the episode, which it, it wasn't actually that at all. It was more along the lines of, "Hey, he just kept pushing back and going. You guys, his tires are old. He's obviously slower. Look at his times." And then they finally kind of relented and said, "Yeah, you can try to pass him here." And and uh, you know he got his first win. They definitely tried to make a. A Charles versus, uh, you know, Carlos kind of a little bit of a, a grumpy attitude. And I think it was more to do with the fact that Charles was underperforming and had to watch in some races where Carlos was overperforming. But Carlos had some dogs of races, too. So many DNFs across it. Right now, like Ferrari's leading the screen time, I feel like. They're getting a lot of attention. And we're sort of forgetting the fact and glossing over the fact. And I'm sure we're going to get in the second half of the season of the drive to survive season that they they're going to focus a lot on how dominant Red Bull was right now. They're just choosing to forget about that and focus on the teams who, uh, and, and it was difficult too. same thing watching Mercedes. They did a full episode of, we don't know what we're doing right now. And the team principal meeting where they were getting fired up at each other. That was, that's, that was, that's my moment of the season so far, so far is awesome. that team principal meeting. And you, you have to think that that team principal meeting lasted a lot longer than what they showed and that they like selectively edited a bunch of the comments, but it was it was very interesting to see Toto crack, and he cracked when he asked, like when he told everybody, "Look, like what you guys are doing to these cars to get them to not bounce is unsafe, and if you put a driver in the wall and like hurt him, then I'm coming after you." Like the logic there is just like galaxy brained, like so <laughs> out there, and you see all the other team principals roll their eyes, and Benotto, right. I think had had the right response. He's like, "Dude, like." Uh, sa- safety is a, a team uh, team's responsibility, right? Like, leave it to us to make sure our car is safe. And you're just coming up with this like weird straw man argument on yeah. like about the porpoising because you have a problem and you need to fix your car. And I wonder if Toto was just being overly dramatic in front of like Stefano Domenicali, the F1, yes. or I, I think F-I- he was the one that was there kind of leading that, the F1, that conversation. Yeah. He, I mean, he was like, hey, and that was funny too, because Gunter wouldn't shut up at the beginning of the meeting. And he's like, uh, Gunter, can we please like have a moment here? And it felt like me, all of junior high. But when they do cut to that moment where, it, and, and, and Christian Horner goes, should we turn off the cameras for this part? Because this is like a really aggressive thing. He's like, no, I'll keep them weird. on. He's yeah. like, no, I'll keep them on. He's like, okay, I feel like you're doing this for the cameras, though, because this is like a really weird thing that you would come after us for our safety issues when obviously making the argument of it's not working for us isn't good enough because everybody else made changes probably to the detriment of their of their arrow, you know, on their cars uh, to try to figure this thing out. 
And the the yeah. episode, that same episode, you know, with with uh, Lewis walking around holding his back for like <laughs> the entire <laughs> thing, like I, it just it it would the whole thing was very very dramatic. I think by Mercedes, but I think that was the play that they made all last year during that time too. Like, oh look at us, we're like we're. Somebody, it's like being tripped on the on the soccer pitch, and pe- and then looking at the ref, going, "You didn't see that? Like, what's going right. on over here? Like rolling around? <laughs> they're just rolling on the on the pitch till somebody reacts, and I, they didn't get the reaction, and so yeah, they're not yeah. used to I losing. Feel like, yeah, Toto was pulling like a total Neymar there, and just trying to get the F one's <laughs> attention because if we remember, like leading up to the summer break, that's when they made uh, rule changes that benefited um, uh, Mercedes and hurt Red Bull at least that was like what everyone was uh, uh, guessing was going to happen based on ride height stuff. And so I think he was just trying to build that story as to like, this is a safety issue. You know, you're going to break Lewis's back. Someone's going to end up in the wall. And if, if for, or if uh, F1 doesn't change the regulations, then something bad's going to happen. It's going to be on them. So I think it was very performative to him just trying to stir up uh, this thesis and hopefully getting uh, F1 to react to it. And they know that like Lewis has a ton of, media power and pull and so he, he just has to make a couple of instagram posts about like you know this is this is bad for my sure. back and yeah. you know the fans are going to be outraged um all right any other things that you were like oh for sure i got to bring this up the stuff that that stood out to you from the first five episodes here yeah and like i said next week we're gonna we're gonna bring up a lot more and uh, uh but so, other things that stood out to you so far we haven't heard from a lot of the teams yet obviously yeah. Um, in episode one, it was pretty early when they were talking about uh, Haas and uh, Nikita Mazepin and that whole uh, yes. uh, issue. I thought that was pretty interesting to see, at least how Netflix portrays it, how cut and dry that decision was for Haas to know like, hey, we have like a basically like almost privatized Russian oil as the sticker on our car. Right. And the you know sponsor's son is in the driver's seat. And it was just like, he's out. And that the comment that, uh, that Gunter made about like, I yeah. never want to see a rush in the rest of my life. I can't remember exactly no, it, what it he was said. Like, it was like something along the lines. He goes, he's like freaking Russian, man. If I have to dealing with Russians, I'd never want to deal with Russians ever again until as long as I'm still on this planet or something like that. Or like yeah. until I'm off this planet. Uh, and it was a good quote. <laughs> I mean, it's, it was classic because he's like, does these interviews? And he's like, yes. And we're we're keeping our eye on the situation. And then he goes, and then it shows him walking back in the PR guy. And he's like, gosh, I freaking hate Russia right now. <laughs> like, this is the worst. <laughs> and and it was. I mean, you think about, and it was a massive blessing in disguise because they upgraded their driver situation immediately uh, yeah. by bringing Kevin Magnuson in. And it was cool to see K-Mag, like, how he's changed. They show his wife and his kid. And, and he's like, I have just a totally different view of how I'm going to approach mm-hmm. things now because my life is totally different, even though it's, you know, only 16 months later or whatever it was. And so uh, that was cool to see him. I'm wondering what how they're going to portray, you know, the, the situation at Red Bull. I think they're pro- I think they're probably, if they're smart, I want to get a little bit more into – the Checo Max relationship, and I'm hoping that we find out a little bit more. We've seen a couple of times with Max in the in the interview seat, which means there's potential there to actually maybe have a response back and forth, and and I think that's going to be something that one, it'll be over dramatic like we've seen, but I think that was also there was a lot more there. There was a little bit more meat on that bone than we probably realized between uh, you know the the, the two of the uh, two of the best drivers on the on the grid and the best team certainly. That I'm I'm waiting to see that. I don't know what happened with uh with Williams and how they figured things out. All of the new drivers being added mid season and toward the end of the season, that's also gonna be really, really fascinating to me. Yeah, it 
I think that um, a lot of the appeal in prior seasons for Drive to Survive has been these inter-team driver rivalries. And we haven't really gotten that through the first five episodes of this season. So I'm with you. Like I, and I, I try to think back to last year and be like, okay, where were the real driver rivalries going on? It was like you said, towards the end of the season with Max and Sergio, and then also um, Alonzo and Ocon. And they didn't really touch on the Alonzo Ocon relationship very much in that episode five. It was more like Alonzo and um, uh, Otmar, the team principal, sure. more kind of their relationship. So yeah, I hope they get into that. Uh, I think that that's kind of some of the meat and potatoes of drive to survive is seeing these guys get super competitive. And you kind of had the moment where uh, Carlos like stormed off the pickleball court uh, after losing, I think to Charles or something. Right, it was yeah, seemed like overly dramatic. And you're but, like, uh, I know. And he's like, I'm such a freaking competitor. And you're like, they all are. Like, I get it, but there's probably overdoing it with this one here with the pickleball. I just wanted court. to be like, dude, pickleball is not a sport, man. I'm just get over it. <laughs> I think like his dad was like a professional squash guy for a minute. After or it he must did, be squash, like, yeah. yeah. Like he did, he did the he did squash for a while, and I think that uh, Carlos has inherited his dad's uh, ability on the squash court. So. Whatever squash problems, like if you're going to be like, it, that's the kind of stuff you're supposed to do to get away from the the sport of it. Um, other things that I'm, I'm interested to find out the, uh, I hope we get a really good view into, and they, they teased a little bit toward it as well. And we saw a little bit of it in the Alpine episode. Uh, but like the Fernando to uh, Aston Martin and the suing of uh you know, the whole uh, uh, Oscar Piastri thing that just went down in such a weird way, all that stuff. I, I want to get more clarification on all that as well. It's, that's the kind of drama yeah. I love. Yeah, I thought that episode five was um, the best episode so far because it left on a pretty great cliffhanger there with just Piastri tweeting out, like, I have not signed and I will not be racing wow. with uh, Alpine next year. And like that really just rocked everybody's world when he sent that tweet out. So that was a good midpoint for the season. And I mean, I loved Alonzo's grin when he was like, I'm still the bad guy and like gets up and, and stands up and, uh, out of the chair. <laughs> and you just know, like he is out, he's out there to look out for himself. And, uh, and yeah, he just wants to get paid in his uh, final years in, in F1. And that's what Aston Martin was able to bring to the table. Uh, do we, by the way, do we end up seeing Sebastian Vettel maybe having to fill in for the moment while uh, uh, Lance Stroll isn't 100%? And how great would that be? I mean, it would be super cool. <laughs> those two guys because, on the same team yeah, would be awesome. Those two on the same team? I mean, that's like how many world championships between those? Would that yeah. be seven? Si four uh, and three? Six. Four and oh, two? Did they have, six. Yeah, I think it's six. Yeah, because I think uh, yeah. Fernando's got two. Uh, and then plus like all the hype around how fast their car is, that would be pretty cool to see just like, even if it's just one race to see how fast Sebastian would be in that car. Right. And you know, I, we don't want to wish harm on anybody and I really hope Lance gets uh, healthy sooner, but it seems like such a Lance thing to do is to get hurt on his bike. Right. And, <laughs> and on top of it, uh, like I think all of us know, Hey, who's the weak, weak link on the, on these teams usually that, uh, that are owned by uh, Lance Stroll senior, like, uh, you know, None of us really look at Lance Stroll Jr. and go, hey, man, this guy, uh, he's he's supposed to be the future of this. To have a Fernando oh. and Sebastian Vettel, even just like a, f uh, a few races to the beginning of the year, that'd be nice. But, yeah, oh, man. Uh, it looks like Aston Martin's got a quick car, so looking forward to that one as well. Uh, as we go into this next week, I, I mean, are there, are there teams who are – I mean, the car is always in development, right? I mean, that's kind of the, 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 the thing with the sport. But – 
what is the reality of like when ha- when everything has to be totally buttoned up? Or are there teams that are going, yeah, we get to we get to race one, and we we're not going to be competitive at all. We're just going to try to kind of get uh, get our stuff going for this first race of the year. Uh, everyone's bringing everything that they got to this first race. I think, like we talked about in the last episode, like hope springs anew at the beginning of each season and, and you come into it thinking we can win races and we can win the championship. So I think everyone's going to bring everything that they can. I know that some teams like Mercedes have already kind of hedged a little bit by saying like, oh, we've got some more developments coming later on in the year, like three races in or four races in. But I don't think anyone's holding back coming into this weekend. Uh, so far, dark horses uh, race-wise, not even necessarily team-wise, but knowing what we do a little bit, of who these teams are and what, who could surprise maybe like Hostet at the beginning of last year. Yeah. I think Fernando and the Aston uh, could be uh, a surprise dark horse win. Uh, who else, man, I really wanted to say Piastri, but McLaren's just looking so slow uh, that you probably can't uh, attribute anything there. So, and then uh, Valtteri in the Alpha Male is really quick. I think he was like second or third. I think he was third fastest in testing. And I think he's still in the prime of his career and has that competitive edge. And he's got the, uh, like the mustache and mullet helmet. Did you see that? Yeah, no, I I, I think I put that in our F1 group uh, on, uh, on Twitter because I was like, it's such a, it's such a Valtteri thing to do where it's like, they're like, what kind of a helmet do you want? He's like, I don't know, make it look like my mullet. You know, like, he's like, I don't care. I don't care about the helmet. Just make it and, and it'll be fine. But yeah, uh, I'm always interested to see what a guy like Valtteri can do. I, I think Alex Albon, I'm not sure how quick the Williams is. I'm always, like, hopeful that that team can turn it around just because it's such a, uh, you know, they've been on the back foot uh, ever, since I've ever followed the sport. But I think that Alex Albon's a really good racer, and I think that he's a guy that um, could pr- really, really do something interesting if the car is even close to being uh, decent because I think he's a really talented racer. Yeah, I, I that's going to be interesting because Logan Sargent, I'm just looking up the timetables. He was actually faster than uh, Alex in, in testing. And Alex even got to run the last day when most everybody was posting their fastest time. So, uh, yeah, I think Williams uh, could make a, a leap forward and hopefully Logan can uh, stay out of the Mick problem and not wreck a bunch of cars because like Haas, Williams doesn't have a ton of money to uh, put into new chassis. So right. mm-hmm. uh, I'll be interested to watch Logan for sure. All right, Dan. Uh, it's another episode in the books, man. We're uh, I, I've just been. I know it probably feels all over the place because we just have all these things. We're basically kids who are like, remember what happened in that one movie? It was freaking awesome, man. Like <laughs> that's basically what we've been doing the entire episode here. So uh, I'm interested to see how these next five episodes go, and then we're gonna have a race preview next week as well. So we'll drop midweek ish. Uh, a race preview and our final five uh, reviews of the or the final five episodes of Drive to Survive. Dan, thanks for hanging out, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. There you go. Dan Jimenez, Alex Curie. It is the Moat Push Podcast on American View of F1. Download it, subscribe, rate it, review it, send it to a friend. Uh, let's talk F1, man. We're getting into it. For Dan and Alex, we'll see you next time. Yeah.